0: God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. Well, God bless and welcome back to another episode of Family Discussion. My name is Mark Ortega and as always I am joined by the quintessential Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how are you doing today? Uh, you
1: know what? After the last episode and you, you know, gave a brief description of how you're going through the alphabet and I thought it's going to be really interesting when he gets to the Q's and here you are. <laughs> and here I had you to are, think about it.
0: I've been thinking about that for a few hours. I'm like, I've got the, I've got, P was easy. What am I going to do with Q? And quintessential just seemed to sum it up beautifully. But so. here's
1: the challenge. Let's see what you do with X. I'm just saying.
0: Nah, <laughs> we're going to be in a new season by the time we get to X, I can start over again and dodge it there that you way. Know. How are things going on your end, Lisa? You doing well?
1: I'm doing well. Um, yeah, I'm doing well. I'm enjoying spring. I love um, watching everything blossom but i have to keep that in mind when i'm driving because i don't want to like go running into cars because i'm you know i'm looking at the trees
0: yeah, um, no, you know forward, to see how they're Lisa.
1: you know how they're they're coming out and blooming <laughs>
0: Yeah, I get that. Amen. Well, uh, Lisa, just like last week, this week we are joined by a guest. She is uh, half of the Theology Gals, and it made me think we need to bring the entirety of the Theology Gals on at some point and have a a good time. But uh, Rachel Green Miller is here with us. She is an author. She is a blogger. She is a podcaster. She is all of the things. And uh, Rachel, it is great to have you with us. How are you today?
2: I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on.
0: It's yeah, fun. absolutely. It's like, fun didn't to have we have you. y'all on
2: or did we we had y'all on? Mm-hmm. Have we not been on? Yeah.
0: we we came on, I don't know when. It's been it's been a while. It was during mm-hmm. COVID, I think. Mm-hmm, I think yeah. it was yeah. during the but uh yeah, it was a lot of fun uh hanging out with Theology Gals on their podcast. And so Rachel, it's great to have you back with us. Uh I think you've been on Family Discussion once before, right?
2: Yeah, I have
0: yeah yeah i thought so um and today we are talking about god's design for women and his uh and how sin has affected that design um which is of course a super non-controversial and easy (laughs) there's no smoke there's no fire this is something the entire church has always agreed on um so (laughs) let's see how this conversation gets people riled up it'll be a lot of fun um Rachel, I I guess that's maybe a place to start. From where you sit, seeing the lay of the land, both in social media and in your interactions in the church, um, I hate to put it this way, but how's the conversation about women going from where you sit?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, um, well, not as well as I would like, (laughs) better than it could be. Um, I certainly see some areas of hope in the discussions that I have, particularly with other, um, other women in, in similar situations and uh, similar backgrounds um, who are, are really um, moving the conversation in very interesting ways and in very, you know, staying in, the, in orthodoxy, and, but really challenging a lot of the cultural baggage that we've, we've picked up. Um, and, you know, also hearing from a number of, of pastors and elders who are supportive and helpful and, you, you know, incorporating different things into their own churches that make me hope for the future. Um, mm. Of course, it seems like every time we take two steps forward, we get another, um, <laughs> we hit another uh, roadblock of, um, to mix my metaphors there, of um of, of tribalism of um just it, there's such a divide that we can't even talk to each other anymore without just name calling and finger pointing and mm. well you're just uh or not you know how dare you and like people aren't listening and don't seem willing to listen they just this is my position it's becoming more and more entrenched in a lot of ways
0: yeah I, i've I've seen that, especially in, in social media spaces, um, where it, it's, it's interesting, even if you agree theologically, ecclesiologically, if you're in the same tradition, if there is a disagreement over the exact, um, purposes that God has for women, you, you are, I mean, it's like world war three out there uh, around this issue. It's really, um, painful thing to watch because what tends to happen at least is what i see it's men attacking women in social media spaces and the men who are doing it are the very ones who have defined masculinity by protection of women and uh so it's this really bizarre (laughs) protect women unless we don't like them i don't know it's it's a weird animal i think to and i mean of course i've never been on the receiving end of that so i'm not sure what that's like like that kind of whiplash
2: yeah actually you know we, we talk about this quite a bit uh, among ourselves among our women who have been attacked um what seems to be ironic is you're right that that they talk a lot about a certain facet of of social media about men and masculinity being defined by protection and protecting women in particular and then they go around turn around and attack women and the thing that we've kind of boiled it down to is um, they attack, they, they protect women who they deem worthy of protection. Mm. And so if, if we fall outside their guidelines, if we are disagreeing, if we, they see us as you know, rebellious and um, um, oh, what's another good word for it? We'll just go, through both. they see us as rebellious, uh, then, then we're fair game. Because we're not we're not good women who deserve protection.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's very accurate um, in terms of what I have observed. Also, and it seems to me, I mean, just kind of like broader than this discussion is. You know, we have to be mindful of what social media does. It's you know it has, and particularly with this issue and other issues as well, um, just because of the flattened dynamic, if you will, um, of social media, especially Twitter, um, I, I have just observed over recent years how that has um, provoked suspicion. So whereas there was a time where we could have reasonable discussions, right? If you, if you so some of the, the people that have attacked you, Rachel, I I think there was a time when you all could sit in a room, you could have a reasonable discussion about what you believe scripture says, but now there's this automatic uh, suspicion that is, you know, that has really been put out there so that you say like the one wrong thing, you know, and it couldn't even, it couldn't even be what you even attended. Right. It's, It's the suspicion that, oh, she's of this camp and therefore I have a right to attack her. And it is. and, And I think we need to be really mindful of how social media can can disrupt our, you know, our brother sister relations that way.
2: Yeah, I think you're absolutely correct. I, and, and not just in on this issue and not just within theology. I think we've become as a society, as a society that is represented on social media for how much it actually represents us um, on all topics it, from every aspect of our lives, from politics, from religion, from you know, where you're going to send your kids to school. I mean, all of these things become, you know, camps that we're entrenched and we attack instead of listen. And you know it's demoralizing in a lot of ways because I like, and and that's one of the things, you know, Colleen and I've been focusing on this last year or so on, on theology gals off and on is how to have these civil discussions, how to have disagreements, but that are fruitful. How can you talk to someone that you disagree with on one thing, but you can learn from something else from them? Like, how do you do that and do it well? Because I think there's a lot that we can learn from each other.
0: Absolutely. And, and it's, it's one of the things that struck me, um, so, you know, I guess it was 2020 into 2021. I call it the trifecta came out. Um, you had uh, Kristen Dume's book, Beth Barr's book, and Amy Bird's book came out. And it kind of created this um, big storm around the conversation of gender in the church. And um, what struck me was the inability to say, hey, I, maybe I disagree with this part but the rest is, is interesting. It was either you embrace the entirety or you reject the entirety. There's, we have lost the ability to say, yeah, maybe, you know, so maybe I don't agree with, with uh, Beth Barr's egalitarianism, but I liked what she said about this, this, and this, or maybe I disagreed with some of the framing in Jesus and John Wayne, but a lot of these other things are really good. Um, and the one that was the most shocking was the way Amy was treated because she was in an OPC church at the time. So she's like the furthest thing from an egalitarian. <laughs> and and it was this, um, it was a wholesale rejection rather than a conversation about, well, we're not sure about this, but we really appreciated that and let's dialogue. Um, and I, I I do see this and some of the racial discourse as well. But um, it seems to me, and I could be completely missing this. Lisa, you can you can rein me back in on this one. But it seems to me that the wholesale dismissal of people is limited to women and people of color. It seems to me that white men got a lot of nuance, but women and people of color are dismissed outright um, if they don't completely toe the line in a particular direction. Lisa can nuance that for me, but I'm, I'm maybe not feeling the most nuancey right now.
1: <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think you know, let's set the rate the race issue aside. I, I think, you know, on both of those issues, and particularly with women, and as I mentioned in last week's episode, is that you know we have to look at our cultural, our broader cultural backdrop and where we are, and there's just a lot going on in the broader culture, you know, in terms of gender confusion, gender conflation, um, you know the the role of men not being as prominent as maybe you know it should be, and I think that there is a especially when I see some of the some of the things that are put out there um, about, you know, manhood, about, you know, women, there, there's this, this fear, if you will, of, oh my gosh, what is going on in the broader culture is now creeping into the church so that you have any mention of, you know, women you know, asking the question, well, we, we just want to serve in the church. Like, how can we do that? How can our voices be heard? How can we actually be treated as, as equal heirs to the kingdom without, you know, within the, the boundaries of complementarianism? I'm, you know, I'm in the PCA that's, you know, we don't ordain women, women don't preach on Sundays. But women do have a voice. And so even asking the question, how do women have a voice, even that is met with suspicion. And I think a lot of it is fear that it's like, oh, my gosh, if you give an inch, there's going to be a mile. And the next thing you know, we have an egalitarian church. God forbid.
0: Which, uh, by the way, as the egalitarian on the show, I'll say, is not the worst thing in the world for a church to become like, you know, some of these folks will rather become liberal churches than egalitarian churches. And, uh, I just want to throw out there, maybe becoming an egalitarian church ain't the worst thing in the world, but Rachel looked like she was about to say something.
2: <laughs> no, I, I was just going to say, you know, that, uh, you know, to your point, Marcus, that a lot of people, um, who are concerned about, um, the conservative churches moving egalitarian are also, cons- they, they equate that with moving liberal, like that it's, that you can't say they don't believe you when you say that someone is an egalitarian who also believes in inerrancy who also believe you know that they're, right. they're like no that can't possibly be i'm like but they but there are you know they you know right so uh <laughs> i was gonna, gonna say that um as well that moving back before amy's um uh, uh, recovering from biblical manhood and womanhood book when she wrote the book before it um, the two before oh, it, the one before yeah. it was about uh, why can't we be friends about spiritual right. friendship between men and women and the one before that was no little women uh, and she's been taking hits since no little women yeah uh, on these things and I do think a lot of it does have to do with power and concern about maintaining power and keeping power uh, you know with my book too, that, I mean, the focus on moving our discussions beyond authority and submission, all of that is is what's tied into it. Like there's, there's I, it really is about power. There's authority. There's people that want to stay in, in control of things. And that's not everybody. That's not everybody's concern, but there's enough of it that it is driving a lot of the conversations. And while it's true that, um, that most often, we're taking hits from men on these topics. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of, oh, we call them gatekeeper women, mm-hmm. who are mm-hmm. absolutely uh, trying to keep us all in line. And in, and in some ways, it's even harsher because they're talking woman to woman. And there is some really ugly stuff out there. At least I see. Yeah, mm-hmm. but not exactly. I'm nodding.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one thing. I can I can see the men folk right, who take that position. But I'm, I'm absolutely flabbergasted when I say I think gate, gatekeeper women is the, the perfect term for it. Um, and it's almost, and I, I have observed in recent years that they've become almost as, as stringent and as um, non-conceding, if you will. There's no there, There's no middle ground. There's no reasonableness to even have a dialogue it's oh my gosh you are you are marked you're a rebellious woman if you take this position and we're talking about people who are not taking the position of you know even taking the position of egalitarianism um you know it's you know, how dare, how dare you as a woman step out of line? And and I just wonder, I mean, even from a, just a psychological perspective, like, I don't, I don't even know what that's about, but.
2: Yeah. Um, there is a lot of, of concern that we are stepping out of line. In fact, there's a quote, there's a book that takes a quote from a woman, you have stepped out of line or stepped out of place. Uh, which is another fascinating book, but um, you know, dealing with women in the feminist movement historically, like the first wave, and moving forward since then. But um, one of the things that I see a lot of is that, and, and I talk about this uh, in my book, is that we we shortcut the we sh- yeah we shortcut short circuit when we start talking about these issues. So when I say I want to talk about women in the church the very first response is either well you can't ordain them I'm like okay right Um, (laughs) I'm. that wasn't my my concern not my question I'm not going there right I want to talk about you know for these women of us you know and honestly for most of the church who are not ordained what are we doing for discipleship that for women um that looks similar to the discipleship that that men are often given even the unordained men right so how what are we doing how do we make sure that our gifts are being used that our our, our voices are being heard that we have a place in the church and and i'm not talking about <laughs> ordination i'm simply talking about the lay men and women of the church what do we do about
0: that right right well i i wonder in the furor Mm -hmm. that we're seeing around this issue, It, it seems to me, I'm like, wow, it must be really hard to be a woman theologian right now. But then I also see a lot of women who are publishing theological work at really high levels. And so I'm curious because you're both theologians. I just wanted to hear, but is it becoming easier to be a female theologian, even though it sounds like the resistance is intense or is it still just kind of that same uh, every time I try and do something, I run into the the mail brick wall.
2: Um, yeah, I would say that it's a combination of things. I think that there are um, there are more options than there used to be for places to speak um, to be heard. Uh, although at the same time, there is an increasing backlash and concern within uh, conservative, Presbyterian conservative reform circles uh Mm. that is making it harder and harder to to hear women to listen without being suspected of something like that you have other agendas Mm. like I I'm hearing from um movements within Presbyterian circles to like you know we we as we know like on Sunday we only have um pastors elders who preach right, in, in our churches and that's that's the way we do things but also a movement to say okay well only the pastor can read scripture then on sunday from on sunday morning and that has not been the rule or the way you know you think about uh for churches that have like advent services and they have a family come up and read scripture right there are pca churches that have lay people read scripture readings during and it's a way that it, it's one of those things that maybe we have to agree to disagree on how to implement, right? We, sure. we have the basic tenets that we agree on, and then implementation looks different, right? Kind of like style of worship type differences. But but I'm seeing this movement, like, and and so they're like, if we, if women are allowed to speak and read scripture, then the next thing we know, we're going to have, have to ordain women. And I'm like, it really doesn't have to go that way. (laughs) Like, it's, I mean, and I, and I'm not denying that, that some denominations haven't moved that way before. I, I, I understand history. I know how things work, but there are lots of denominations out there that hold very similar, uh, basic understandings of, of what, of who can be ordained and what we're going to do in church, who do things differently and and have held that ground for a long time
1: yeah and i would say it you know what i've seen it depends on what the women are speaking on you know if they're you Mm. know speaking on how to be a good wife and make your husband happy and you know (laughs) make sure that he's leading well and you're being submissive then yeah i mean like hey bravo (laughs) right but when you start poking the bear, when you start, you know, asking questions about, well, in scripture, you know, it says this, but does this mean women have to be relegated to this, you know, this very limited role, and I'm not even talking about ordination, like, I don't even right. understand why we make why that big of a leap has mm-hmm. to be, you know, has to be taken. Um but it's just the role, like, like Rachel was saying the even the reading of scripture. Um, and so when you start, when you start going outside of those very tight boundaries, that's, that's when women, you know, get dismissed and get attacked and get in trouble because now you're, you're going down the slippery slope and you're hmm. in rebellion.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's a, it seems to be a, a fear or power response coming from um, a particular paradigm for women that is, I mentioned this in the last episode as well, it is more akin to a 1950s cultural, it's like a cultural captivity of gender um, that we've got going on that's, that has been lifted up as the biblical norm when in fact it was a cultural norm in a particular uh, place and time. And a lot of what I've been seeing is people starting to to tear down those cultural bonds and say, no, we're, we're, we want to be exploring what it is to be a, a Christian woman from a biblical theological perspective, not from a particular cultural perspective. But I'm curious, um, Rachel, once we break down some of those cultural barriers or cultural norms, how do we start rebuilding? Right. Because there's there's deconstruction, which is perhaps a, a, a poor, but just in this context, there's a deconstruction of those cultural things. But how do you then reconstruct something that is good, that comes out of the scriptures and is theologically informed? When you start thinking through women and God's design for women, how do you start reconstructing that?
2: Um, I like the the to use the term Reformation because it's it's about reforming back to Scripture, being reformed by by Scripture, and so we should be constantly be going back and comparing what we we're doing to Scripture and saying how much of what of what we're doing is is cultural, how much of it is tradition, how much of it is, and it's what the reformers did, right? The, this is something that has to happen regularly within us because it's easy to get away. It's easy to start building hedges around any any topic. It, you know, we, we try to be careful. And so I think the way to do it, like the first step to do it is to, is to go back to scripture, to, to read through, to be aware of, um, what our biases are, biases are, um, about, about women and gender in particular, and to be willing to reconsider what we've been doing, be willing to like, and I'll, I'll take a, a just an example from one that I've heard, like, um, in a church when um, when the, the offering is, is passed, right? Hmm. And you have volunteers who are passing the offering plates, right? If it's volunteers who are doing it, does it need to be men,
0: hmm. right? Hmm.
2: Or you have greeters at the back of the church helping people find their seats. Does, if it's just volunteers, does that need to be men, right? And And to move away from questions like, who can do what and how can we apply what's in scripture to grow the faith and the gifts of the men and women in our church. So it's an intentional shift in how we're thinking and what we're focusing on instead of worrying about gatekeeping. And, And I think it's important to be careful. I mean, I want to be careful about what we do and why we're doing it, but I think we should look through and think what are the reasons that we're doing this? Why are we doing these things? And for example, I I thought that the PCA study report a few years back on women was very good. Like it it offered a lot of solid thought work in it, a lot of groundwork for how to make these decisions, but then also it it gave some guidelines and it encouraged churches to look at what they did and consider how they're doing it and consider how they can be more biblical in what they're doing. Even if we disagree about application, What, what can we do?
1: Right. And I thought of something right when she started talking and I completely lost it oh, right sorry. now. So hopefully,
0: <laughs> all right, well, Lisa, hopefully we'll, I we'll... will
1: get it back. If I do, I'll just raise somebody. I'll throw up the Baptist finger. I don't know what the Presbyterian finger oh, is, but go. I'll throw up the, you know, the back row Baptist finger and,
0: you know, and yeah. if I get don't it throw back... up. just don't, just don't throw up the Twitter, the Twitter finger. It won't be all right. That's, uh, yeah. uh, but yeah, I, I think there is the, the reconsideration of, of how we do things within our local churches. Um, but I also think there is the reconsideration of how we're discipling women well. And so I wonder if if you would speak to that a little bit, Rachel, like people have long bemoaned that resources for women and that the discipling of women is always seemed as an afterthought. Um what is kind of what is the state of discipleship for women right now in the reformed world is it have we seeing improvement or is it really starting to fall apart again
2: i would say it depends um you know it's still you know we talked about you know if you're talking easy to get published if you're publishing along the right topics um we, we talk about we joke about safe books that are for women's mm. studies that you know, you can tell it's safe because it has flowers and script font <laughs> and pretty colors. And I'm nothing wrong with that. I love flowers. I like script fonts. I, I decorate with a lot of color in my house and feminine is great. But it, it, we joke that that's how you know a book is safe, right? Mm. Um, and it, it does. It, it's sad, but true. Like there was one year that you could look it up. All the books for women were teal that year um <laughs> i don't know why the color was teal but they were all teal that year oh uh, wow and the, i think the color for men's books were maroon that year like i it really like you could pull up the catalogs and it was like wow. teal and maroon so yeah and i love both colors they're great um but that said you know i think that there are a lot of women out there who are really hungry because i hear from them really hungry for solid discipline discipling solid uh, uh biblical studies deep thought provoking uh challenging like they want to know they want to understand and they're they're ready for it like they they want to hear and they want to learn and i think that's going to take investment uh, by the leadership of the church to train women in the church to be able to teach um within the, these these areas to use their gifts but also for them for the men of the church for the elders especially if you're talking about churches in our denominations to be take the time for them to teach women as well and to be willing to sit and listen and and learn what women are learning like read the books that are being marketed to women read these resources so you know what's being taught what's being said and be familiar with the discussions that are going on online because i i know pastors are busy i understand that but uh and i remember this from when i was in college there were, past, there were books that were out for the, the college-age women that were going around, and our pastor took aside uh, one of the elders' wives. He's like, look, I trust your opinion. I trust your judgment. Will you read these and let me know what you think? And she came back and said, these aren't good. Let's don't have the women read hmm. that. And so that was the message back, right? And I appreciate that intentional look at it, like the, Let's let's consider what's being done and what's going around.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, so here's what I was thinking, um, it actually okay. is more in line with the discipleship question, because if you're defining what women need, according to a cultural standard, right, according to, you know, how, you know, to cooking or, you know, like, you know, cooking or keeping a home, um, then what is that, you know, how, to you know, pleasing your husband, being submissive to your husband? Well, what about the single women? You know, what are we giving a single, single woman if it's all about, you know, how to be a good wife, right? And of course we do, you know, we do want to be good. Well, we want to be good wives according to what scripture says, right? But I think, you know, that that's, it seems to me like part of the problem is when you're so culturally defined, then And especially if it's culturally defined according to an American context. Well, what about people from different countries? What does that mean? What does that mean for women from different places? You know, and you're right. I mean, I think you're right in terms of it being an afterthought. Like we we need meat just like the men need meat, you know, because we need Jesus. And we need to learn how to put our trust in him. We need to learn how, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian? And that goes far um, way uh, beyond baking cookies,
2: you know, and making little crafts. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that I've been really pleased about when when we first looked at moving to uh, the church where we are, at Cornerstone, um, and I was interacting with a pastor and I asked him, you know, what did the women do? I see there's women's ministry. What are they studying? He goes, Oh, it's, it's, they're studying James right now. I'm like, Oh, okay. He's like, I'm like, Well, what book are they using? He goes, And he gives me the book. I'm like, Cool. (laughs) That's great. Right. They're, they're studying. Yeah. And, you know, since then, I'm, I, I help teach. I'm on the team that helps teach for our our women's Bible study. And, uh, we've done some, some great studies. We did an Old Testament study with a few of the, the minor prophets. We've done uh, a couple of years on Acts. That was great. Um, right now we're studying Psalms, uh, as, as, prayer and it's mm. been deep and fruitful and beneficial. Like I, I really love seeing the women listen and learn. And I can tell you from the women who are out there, the ones we hear from the ones who are, are curious about it, they want to learn. There is a hunger for scripture. Um, mm. But when, when culturally you're you're told and kind of expect that, well, we're going to teach the men and then it's going to trickle down like the, it'll trickle Mm -hmm. down through that and it'll get to the women and the children. and, And it's great if that works, but it's not my husband's responsibility to make sure that I'm getting fed with the word. Like I have my relationship with the church. That's my relationship with the church. I have my relationship with God and I need fed as much as he does. And you know we do that together, but we also have our own needs.
0: Yeah, I mean, trickle down discipleship is not a thing. So I mean, the, <laughs> the expectation that it'll just kind of trickle down doesn't really work. And and it actually, you know, that helps lead to this question. We, we've been talking about the importance of um, pastors and elders in the church taking a a more proactive um, posture in the discipleship of women. But if I can ask, perhaps a more controversial question. What are we missing when the women are not involved in the discipleship of the men? Um, Mm. Because we are to disciple one another in the body of Christ. And that is not a, the men disciple the women that is a one another ring. And I often see that women are, are inhibited from being able to disciple their brothers. So in what way would the brothers in the faith benefit from our sisters taking a role in discipling us?
2: I certainly think that there, there are perspectives that women offer. There are our ways, and this is one of the things that from Amy Bird's most recent book and from discussions that she and I have had and, and talks that we're having about these these ideas, that there are things that, because we are women, we have a, a glimpse into that we can help our brothers see and i understand like for those of us who are married what it means to be the bride right what it means to be beloved in that way um the the like a woman in, in labor or the travail right the, the images and pictures that we have in scripture are not just masculine ones we have a number of feminine ones and i think that's a way that we can help um expand what the understanding are the pictures that we have in scripture but beyond that there's just a lot there in our helping each other uh in not just in you know i'm I'm a woman so i see things this way or he's a man who sees things this way just our individual natures and our individual personality we're going to see things and be interested in things and be aware of things that they may not be and so if Mm. you're not listening to half the church, which is, or at least half the church, you're talking about, Um, you're missing out on the voices of, of a vast proportion of, or sorry, percentage of, of people, right? That's, that's a lot of voices. It's a lot of, of insight that you're missing. Um, So I think that there are perspectives that we can give and, and insight that we can give that, um, that our brothers could, could benefit from.
1: And this to me is why, to to me, this is like the beauty of Sunday school,
0: Mm -hmm. you know,
1: of, you know, where you're not, you know, shuffling the men off in one group and the women off. There's a place for that. But I have been very fortunate to be part of Sunday schools that were very interactive, where both men and women participate. And it's really encouraging. It's not, it's the not shutting down. You know, because I think there is not, there is little else that is more dismissive than when you shut somebody down as if they have nothing to contribute. Um, I was, I've been, I was fortunate, you know, six years going through seminary. um, For the most part, very, you know, my brothers were very appreciative of when I spoke, but every now and then there was a handful of, you know, the knuckleheadedness. Well, you know, to the, the you know, the talking down as if I shouldn't be, you know, speaking in these weighty, heavy, I'm like, I'm in seminary. What, how else am I supposed to talk? Right. Um, but that, you know, like I said, compared to, you know, men who just appreciated my contributions and it's for pastors, it's encouraging those contributions, you know, not just in a group setting, but in the one-on-one. You know, when a woman starts speaking about something, you know, biblical or theological, let her, listen, What what is she saying? What does she have to contribute? Because you're right, we have, you know, perspectives that maybe they're not thinking of. And I'll tell you this, and then I'll shut up. Um, so in seminary, because I went through the THM program, which is, you know, we, I had to do five semesters of Greek and four semesters of Hebrew. And my third, me and Hebrew fought. Greek was fine. Me and Hebrew fought hard. Um, Mm -hmm. So my third, by my third semester, that's when we started getting into the exegesis. I wanted the biblical theologian. Um, I didn't want the technician because I know one, I knew that. Yeah, I didn't want the technician. Well, they switched two weeks. I found out two weeks before the semester started. So I ended up with the technician and I was probably about, one of three, one of two or three women in the class and we were going through the book of Ruth with the technician. Um, There were times when the story got bogged down in technicalities about the language. That's when I would raise my hand because there was a perspective that was being missed in this beautiful story about redemption. And hearing sisters speak about that, because these guys were so focused on the technicalities of the language. But it's, you know, it, it's appreciating when you're, when, you know, when the women, when the, your sisters bring something to the table, inviting it, inviting, listening.
0: I, I wonder, you know, it, there are some some blind spots in all of our lives and this is what comes to to mind for me as well when we listen to our sisters some of the blind spots we have as men can get pointed out and it allows us the opportunity to repent and to grow um often men don't like their blind spots pointed out so they respond in negative ways but i do think within the church this is part of our confessing our sins to one another. This is part of encouraging one another, spurring one another on to good works. Is is we need each other in the body of Christ. The, the brothers and sisters are um, integral to one another in the church, and and I'm concerned that in a lot of ministries, we still have the that kind of segregating idea of this is the men's study, this is the women's study. Like you said, there's a place for that. But I really want to amen what you've been saying, both of you, about um, especially co-ed Sunday schools, co-ed small groups, creating spaces where the women in the church can speak into the lives of the men. Um, and so I want to ask this, though. Is, it's a little bit of a turn in the conversation. But before we, we wrap up, I wanted to get this one out as well. We, when we had Penny on last week to talk about the effect of sin on men, I wanted to ask Rachel, you the same thing. Um, when we talk about the effect of, of the fall on women, how, how do you see that playing out? And What, what is, as we're, as we're reforming our understandings of manhood and womanhood, what are some of the sin things that we just need to be aware of or that women need to be aware of in, in their own lives that maybe um you know like just maybe missed because of some low hanging fruit that might be out there.
2: Are you asking about how like sin patterns that are common for women or how uh the fall and now sin affect us as women because
0: I I think the second one more than anything one. else yeah yeah
2: I was thinking about and I've thought a lot about um with the fall that this you know the first time that Adam is is shown Eve that he is met he meets her that he, it's this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh Like right? this is you know this is special right yeah and then with the fall, the first thing that Adam says is, well, the woman that you gave me, right? And that that splintering of, of fellowship, of the relationship that we're supposed to have, that interdependent, beautiful relationship that we should have with each other within marriage, but also just generally between men and women as, as the body of Christ, right? What we should have is broken. And, you know, we have a lot of of pointing your fingers and distrust and um, uh, demeaning of women, you know. I think when you get to to the uh, Genesis three, as we go on, and it says, you know, that you know, for women, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Um, it, the, the things that pain, increase your pain and childbearing that all of these things are certainly true. Like the 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 all of what happens with women for our bodies and whether or not you have children or not, it's a painful process of what we go through as, as our bodies are, are preparing to have children or not. All of that is emotionally, physically hard. It's a difficult thing. Um, and it makes us also very vulnerable. We are physically vulnerable as women uh, in ways that men are often not vulnerable. And instead of being able to turn to the men around us and trust that they would take care of us and protect us in that way when we are vulnerable, that we are now a commodity, we are now mm-hmm. um, uh, objects to be traded or used, and we, when we are seen that way, and then we're also besides being devalued and not listened to, we're also distrusted, and you know you see that that play out all the time in the discussions around things in the church, especially things that we've talked about here. And then, you know, what I've written about, about, you know, that when you believe that women are more easily deceived, when you believe that women are the, the, you know, the, the voice of the serpent, right. Then. You treat women in ways you can't be partners. You can't listen. You can't hear them because you have to always be on guard that women are dangerous. And, and I think that is a lot of what happens, like that's the root of so many of the problems between men and women in the church, in the home, in society.
0: Hmm. Lisa, you, do you wanna yeah. to speak to that at all?
2: Um, yeah, I
1: mean, I, I think that's, that's great. Our, our relational, um, you know, how the fall has impacted our relational dynamics uh, I think is really big. It's also how we see ourselves you know, as mm. co-heirs. And so on one, you know, there's two extremes. One extreme is, uh, and, you know, and, and some of it is, a lot of it is the pushback against what Rachel was speaking to. So now it's like, I, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, be subjected to, you know, you're supposed to protect me, you don't protect me. Therefore, I have to look out for myself therefore i'm going to reject any any anything that looks like patriarchy you know and i'm going to stand on my own two feet to the point where you know it's like i don't really need these men because they're nothing but you know all they do is bring harm right and then the other extreme is i'm just going to you know i'm 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 going to make sure i'm just going to crawl in my hole and not you know, e- even to the, and I don't know that anyone would actually say, oh, I don't, I, I really see myself as subordinate. I don't think anybody would say that, but I think the impact of the fall would be to consider ourselves as less than, you know, mm. especially when mm. there's an emphasis on um, extreme patriarchy, you know, this is, you know, the, the man is, you know, supposed to, you know, or God has staked everything in a man, right? And so, you know, how the fall impacts that is to see ourselves as less than in this some kind, some kind of misguided um, interest in being, you know, within the bounds of scripture, of being compliant, of being orthodox, when really you're just really subjecting to a cultural norm, you're subjecting to, mm. you know, a, an idea that that's a departure from who God made you to be as co-heirs.
0: Yeah, Amen. I, I don't know that I've ever heard you subtweet before, Lisa. That was pretty. Uh, that I was pretty impressive. On it, it, just came. <laughs> <laughs> there it was, Rachel. You were going to comment. I'm sorry.
2: I was just just going to add that, like like I also pointed out on Twitter that. Um, You just to to set that record straight, you know, God has staked everything on a man, a particular man, Jesus, Mm -hmm. and he has completed his work of salvation and we are all safe in him and we are very thankful for that. (laughs) That's just my, my subtweet to the subtweet.
0: Um, <laughs> amen amen so uh the first book and i use the word first on purpose the first book by rachel green miller is beyond authority and submission women and men in marriage church and society rachel do you have another one coming for us some point soon i'd love to read another one
2: i i hope so yes um i've been working on on something on looking at the women in the in uh scripture and how they point us to christ um mm. Not as moral examples or how to live or how to be women, but how do we how do we see Christ through the various women in Scripture? So, Lord willing, although I have um, started working full time, so we'll see how much time I have for writing.
0: <laughs> and uh, and where can we've talked about your writing? Of course, you're at Theology Gal, so they can listen to that. But where can they read some of your writing uh, outside of the book?
2: Um, I haven't updated much recently. My my. Personal blog is rachelgreenmiller.com. Um, and then I was like, I also double checked. That is the right, the, that is the website, isn't it? So, like I said, it's been a while. It is.
0: Yeah. I'm looking at it now. It's here. <laughs> okay, you got good. it.
2: Um, and then, of course, my, my book is available um Kindle, Amazon, all the various bookstores.
0: All right. Awesome. Lisa, any last words for us before we go today?
1: No, I'm just, you know, I'm just reminded of uh, what Genesis. 126 through 28 says that God created man in his image, male and female, he created them and God blessed them. And God said Amen. to them, be fruitful and multiply. Men and women are to work together
2: mm-hmm. for
1: God's kingdom purposes. Now how that plays out in terms of, you know, ecclesiology and, you know, who takes the lead and who, you know, who 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 was in leadership and has authority? That's another issue for another um, episode. But we can look at that command that really the fall tried to disrupt. You know, did disrupt, but it but through Christ is being redeemed. And so I think that the more that we can look at that original mandate that God gave to them. Man and woman to work together in his kingdom.
0: Amen. There's the mic drop from Lisa. Great way to end the episode. Rachel, thank you for being with us today. As always, it was fun talking with you. And to all of you who are listening, thanks for being a part of this. Uh, We'd love to hear your thoughts and your feedback so you can hit us up on Twitter and talk back to us. Thanks for being with us here at Family Discussion, and we'll see you again next week. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's family discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reformed Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next Family Discussion.